All right, help me welcome Jack. Thank you. Oh, I'm Jack. I'm a compulsive overreader. What do you mean I'm going to speak till nine? Get out of here. I'm talking like you. Um, welcome to the newcomers. And God, this is great to be here. I've, I've never been this dressed up for a meeting before. I go normally in the, in the mornings and I, I you know, kind of run a brush through my hair and I wear blue jeans from the night before. And it's kind of nice to be all uh, guzzied up. Um, could have shaved. <laughs> I was going to say I normally don't shave in the, uh, before the meetings, but I'm growing a beard now, so we'll see, see what happens. Um, I, it's, it's kind of funny. I got married uh, a little over a year ago, and when every now and again my wife will bring up something, she, does, she didn't know me back when. I've been in the program about 20, 20 years, and um, she didn't know me fat. She's seen the pictures. She has actually seen the suit. I saved one suit of clothing that I wore one time. It was a size, I think it was a size 50. Uh, it was either a 48 or a 50, and I wore it one time to one of my uh, graduations. Uh, one of my uh, uh, academic exploits uh, early, early on, and um, she'll look at me, and she'll kind of look at me like I don't believe that y you are where you are, given where you came from. And for me, it's a really good reflection because I get busy with my life, and um, and things are so good today that I forget how I spent the first... I'll be 50 in June, and so 20 years in program um, and 30 years before, and it's, it's still hard to change some of the old tapes. But I'll tell you what it was like. What it was like was I grew up in the Fairfax area, um, in case you can't, well, maybe you can't tell, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to start a 12-step program. I'm the adult child of a Jewish accountant. Um, I'm, I'm from the hood in the Fairfax area. And uh, we had no divorces and no deaths and no alcoholics. None, none. Um, in 19, <laughs> I was the fattest kid or the second fattest kid at Hancock Park Elementary School. I lost 30 pounds one summer. You've got to be a fat little kid to lose 30 pounds in a summer. I went to John Burroughs Junior High School and it got worse from Hancock Park because you have to do things like take PE classes. And I don't know what the girls' experience is like, but the boys walking into a room of um, athletic, athletic, pro football player wannabes and, and uh, you know, mine happened to be black to top it off. And he was a, like, he played college football. And he looked at me, this, this little wimpy Jewish guy with, like, body parts that he didn't have. And, and I didn't have some of the body parts that appeared that he have he had. And, and um, so, and then the whole thing about corrective P.E., they put everybody who was a little off in corrective P.E. Uh, <laughs> mentally ill, physically ill, challenged, obese, broken limbs, broken spirits. Bro I mean, and they put us in the... <laughs> And they'd say, get dressed or don't get dressed or, or put on, it, it, little different for guys, but put on your jack strap or don't put on, I mean, just don't hurt anybody. Don't hurt yourself and don't hurt anybody else and sit there and don't cause trouble. And this is not real good to, for the budding self-esteem I was supposed to have. Um, I got to Fairfax High School in February of 1967. And um, unbeknownst to me, my mother was dying at the time. And by May of that year, my mom died. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't talk about that. We didn't deal with much. She was not told she was dying. My father didn't believe in that. Uh, he didn't tell me or my sister she was dying because he would have had to look at stuff. And so first we have a mom and then we don't have a mom. And she died on Mother's Day. So that's always kind of an odd thing in my first semester in high school. So I wake up one day and I'm, I don't know how I got there, uh, but all hell broke loose. And what was just a 50-pound issue in, in uh, junior high and a 30-pound issue in elementary school started getting out of hand. Um, I was probably two and a quarter when I was in high school. I'm the same 5'11 and a half as I am now. Uh, I entered UCLA a little early. I was 
early 17, and by the time I was 18 years old, I weighed my top weight, which was 305. And the reason I knew that is when you live in the Fairfax area, the, uh, the home of the Weight Watchers was, uh, their office was on, on Fairfax, just uh, north of Melrose. And I used to go into a room, somewhat about this, this size, with pictures of before and after. And, and it was a joke. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was never going to happen for me. It just wasn't going to happen. These before and after shots, I believed them. I knew they weren't doctored pictures, but they might have happened for these people. But, you know, I was different, a little odd, a little different. And, and even in my own family, my sister is tall and thin and attractive, uh, stable or unstable. She got married in 1977, and she's still married to the same man. So there was a kind of a, a normalcy to her life. Um, my father worked for the government, and after a few months after um, uh, my mom died, he kind of picked up in reasonably good shape, um, kind of, and I was 300 pounds. I graduated UCLA very quickly. I was in and out in three, a little over three years, three years, and uh, in that time, I did, the word eating disorder, the word disease, compulsive overeating, that was not what they were talking about then. If any of you are somewhat close to my age, it was Weight Watchers, it was uh, Ginny, no, it was um, Sego, the liquid protein, chocolate liquid stuff, it was uh, Metrical cookies, which were chocolate and sawdust somehow in, intertwined. And um, it, was, it was pathetic. I mean, it was just a joke. There was a, it, there was a, I did do one thing that, that I got I to throw the joke in, obviously. Uh, I, I went to Dr. Clarence Hunter. Dr. Clarence Hunter uh, uh, was at, uh, in Beverly Hills. And the only reason I went there is because a friend of mine's mother had lost weight on the pills. So I went there for two reasons. Number one is I got the pills. Picture me on speed. I mean, this is scary. <laughs> and his daughter was very pretty. So I used to go there, and it was the closest, it was the closest this guy was going to get to exchanging, almost changing, uh, touching of fingers with an attractive, uh, an attractive woman. So I took the pills. I uh, lost the weight, gained the weight, lost the weight, went to law school, which was uh, one of the more abysmal experiences of my life. And um, I gained back. When I lost the weight, I lost 100 pounds in six months. When you're very obese, it's easy. When you're as obsessive and compulsive as I can be, it's really easy. I was eating, I was counting calories. I was eating um, 800 calories a day. And when I reached my 800 limit, I stopped. And many is the day, God is my witness, it was about 7, 8 in the morning. And then what I had to do for the rest of the day was just not eat. And I was eating anything I wanted to eat. It was bagels and M&Ms, and I literally was counting the calories of individual M&Ms. I was dividing the number of M&Ms in a bag by, you know, 1.25 ounces at 140 calories an ounce. is so many calories per package divided by this. My dad's an accountant. This was real easy for me to do. And when I got near 800, done, done, done. And if you eat a million calories a day, and most days you're done by 8 o'clock in the morning, you, can, you can't help but lose weight. And so next thing I know, I got a girlfriend, I got a car, I got a briefcase, I got a new suit of clothing, and I'm home free. And I'm going to be a lawyer like, like you know, the, the, every, every Jewish young man has to become, and young woman, actually, in my, where I grew up. Everybody went to My elementary school, the one by uh, uh, Farmer's Market, there are like 35 people in my elementary school class. 30 of them are either doctors, lawyers, or accountants today. I mean, it's bizarre, and, and it's just very strange. So I went to law school, and I discovered Valium, and I discovered alcohol. I discovered vodka and Valium, and regained 100 pounds. So for a moment in time, I thought I had whooped it. And next thing I know is I'm sitting on the concrete floor at Jose outside of Josephina's, which is a long-defunct bar in Sherman Oaks, sitting on the concrete, laughing about how drunk I was while they were bringing out my car so I could drive home on eight screwdrivers. And the reason I remember eight screwdrivers is, for those of you who are from L.A., 
Jim Stacy was an actor, and Jim Stacy was in a motorcycle accident in the 70s, and he had had a he um, he was hit by a drunk driver, and the drunk driver had no insurance. So Jim Stacy, who lost his arm and his leg in that accident, sued the bar that had served the drunk driver, and so I, and he won, he won, and so I asked the bartender at Josephina's how many he would serve me before he'd worry. And he said, I've served you eight screwdrivers and let you drive home. So that's the kind of drinking I did. I don't call myself an alcoholic because I've seen what hard work it is to be a sober alcoholic. And in 1980, I stopped drinking. So I haven't had a drink or drug since 1980. But if I was really an alcoholic, the odds are I wouldn't have been able to do it that way. So I just drank too much. Uh, I have a tendency to overdo a lot of things. Um, so comes law school's over, and I've graduated law school, and I get drunk the weekend before the bar, and I'm hungover for the weekend of the, the three days of the bar, and I obviously don't pass the bar, and uh, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I'm gaining weight. I'm in the size 50 suit. Uh, I've got a law degree, and I have the self-confidence of a turnip. Um, I don't know what to do. So I sell life insurance for four and a half years because you could at least carry a briefcase, wear a shirt and tie, look respectable, not bring too much shame to your family. And um, I was pathetic. I was pathetic. I lied. I cheated. I never validated my contract. I never made more than the bare minimum. It was a draw against commission. I never once hit the commission um, criterion. And I just went up and down and up and down, 50 pounds, 50 pounds. And the next thing I know, it's 1982. It's 1982. I can't even tell people I'm selling life insurance one more day because I'm not doing it. I'm going to bowling alleys. I'm, I'm, I'm playing pinball machine. I'm telling my secretary that I'm, I'm, I'm on appointments. I'm making up names of people. <laughs> you know, when you're in sales, they got all those forecocked charts you have to fill out. And I'm, I'm filling out charts. I'm making up names. And nobody knows not why I'm not selling anything. And the reason was is I, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't presenting anything. So 1982, first week of the year, and one more time, I'm, you know, I'm down for the count. I'm, I'm stealing Valium from my father who had stolen him from my mother. I'm drinking vodka because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't smell and you can't see it. And I gained back the 100 pounds. January of 1982, I don't know what to do anymore. And I asked a friend of mine who was my, one of my bosses in the insurance industry who wasn't in the fellowship. She had nothing to do with program, never has. Um, and I said to her, what do I do? And she said, I don't know. And somehow, as my recollection has it, she suggested I try Overeaters Anonymous. I think I had tried it a couple times in the 70s, and it was just a little bit too, um, pardon the expression, well, I'll leave it. It, it seemed like it was, it was either somewhere between Christian propaganda and Nazi propaganda, depending on how I chose to look at it. It was, it was just not where a Jew should be. Um, now, the meetings I was going to, and I went to to try it, by the way, were like in North Hollywood and Van Nuys, it was probably all Jewish, but it was at a church, and the reason I went, to be honest with you, is that there was an ex-girlfriend of mine who was married at the time, and uh, she was in OA, and I found that out by seeing her at a meeting, and we'd sit in my car and make out. So this is the, this is, we'd made, I was making out with a married woman that I wasn't even particularly attracted to, <laughs> sitting in the parking lot of some church in Van Nuys that was piping out the, uh, the, the, uh, the speaker into the parking lot. And this is, so there wasn't a lot of nobility in, in my entrance into this program in the 70s. 82 comes, I walk into Beverly Hills High School on, um, I think, uh, January 5th. 1982. I think it was a Monday night. I go into Beverly Hills High School, and I'm, I'm on my knee. I'm crawling. I mean, there's nowhere else to go. I, I'm jumping out of my skin. I can't go on one more diet. I don't know what to do with myself. I can't look anybody in the face. When I'm fat, I'm embarrassed about the way I look. When I'm thin, I had gone from age 10 to age 30 without taking off my shirt in public. 
No, nobody at the beach, which means shirts on in the, in the swimming pool, tell him I had a skin condition. Skin condition. Well, skin, I had a lot of skin is my skin condition. And, and <laughs> too much of it. <laughs> um, and, and, and in bed, lights out, lights out. And I would forego looking at who I was in bed with rather than have her see what I looked like. It, was, it, was, it seemed like a fair trade. I would gladly forego seeing her for not having to endure looking at her looking at me. And so that's the way I felt about myself. Um, so what I hear that, that evening is, is uh, the speaker was a guy that I'm still friends with today, for any of you know Gary out in the valley. And Gary was the speaker, and somebody read the tools like they were read today, and they said, find somebody who has what you want. And the speaker, I'll tell you, this is the sole criterion he had. He was, he was funny, he was married, he was thin, and he had been fat. That's all I cared about. And one thing led to another, and I don't know how the last 20 years has happened. To be honest, I don't have a frigging clue. Let me tell you what the first year was like. When I came in a program, I was not particularly heavy. I set a goal weight of 180 pounds. I hit my goal weight of 180, and upon hitting it, I said 170, and I'm done. I hit 170 soon thereafter. Nobody asked me what I was eating. I was eating three meals a day, nothing in between. They didn't ask me what I was eating. They didn't ask me what I was eating. They didn't ask me where I was eating. I, I, never, I never told a lie, but I was eating three meals a day, nothing in between. The fact that I was eating my breakfast in the bathtub because it felt warm and safe. The fact that I was eating food that I later found out no human being should eat. This is, I mean, I was eating things out of cans because I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't want to mooch one more nickel from my father. And I'm sitting here eating breakfast in the bathtub out of cans. And this is what I, I mean, I felt, it, it, to say it felt like I was living the life of an animal is, is, is maybe overstating it, but maybe it's not. That's what it felt. Um, I ate three meals a day and nothing in between. I hit 170, which was my goal weight, so I proceeded to change it to 160. And when I hit 160, I changed it to 150, and at this height, I, I got down to 158 pounds. And that was about 25 pounds or so, less than I weigh now. And I looked like shit, but I never felt better. I never felt better, not physically. Physically, I felt terrible. I, I was tired. I was bruising. My, I had bumps on my elbows and my knees. I had no body fat. But boy, it was good to be thin. Guys in program, Mario, uh, Spencer, Gary, were buying clothing that would fit for that one moment in time. You know, <laughs> after you've taken one good dump and it's first thing in the morning and you buy the boy size large that you never wore as a boy <laughs> and you buy it and you put it on and it fits until you're like drink a cup of water and then it just and I was inheriting clothes from like every guy in the program and I was I was and it, and it felt so good and I was nuts I was nuts and I tried not to hurt anybody and I tried not to hurt myself but I was nuts and let me tell you what the first year was like I, if you're new I got a sponsor and I virtually have never been without one I had Gary for the first year then we fired each other took him back the third year then we fired each other uh, um, had him for another year fired him again and he worked with me for my fifth, sixth year. Uh, that ran its course. Um, I worked with a woman named Deborah who now lives in San Diego for about six or seven years. Uh, they say stick with the same sex. It didn't seem to matter. The, the, the kicker is about Deborah and I, and I, I've told this with her in the room, we had dated. She had less time than me, and we had dated. And she saw that I was going down for the count. And she said, you want me to sponsor you? And I smiled and, you know, in a condescending sort of way and said, thank you very much, no. And a few months later, she asked me again. She sponsored me for seven or eight years. Wow. And it was a godsend. She gave me all the things that the men at that time were not able to give me, which was they, she started introducing me to the spirituality of recovery. And Terrell, for those of you who know him, has been my sponsor for the last seven years. And uh, that's been as glorious 
for these seven as, as Deborah was for the first for the seven before that and Gary before that. Um, so that's the one thing I did. Is I've almost always had a sponsor. And in years two and four, when Gary and I were trying to figure out how to you know coexist as as, as feuding mates. Um, I, I used every male in the program. I used uh, Mario for 15 minutes and Bill Bluestein for 15 minutes and, and, and Larry Windsor for 15 minutes and, and Spencer probably for 15 minutes and I learned something from every one of them. I always had a food plan. Uh, I've no, I've, I was accused of being rigid but, uh, with my food. I don't think I am, but I'm, I'm fairly structured with my food. I eat three meals a day, nothing in between. Three meals a day, nothing in between. Three meals a day, nothing in between. Yom Kippur comes, I eat three meals because that's my medicine. For me, I never function so good. I function better as a recovering overeater who's Jewish than a Jew without a program. And so for me, I'm eating on Yom Kippur the same three meals I ate the day before and the day after. That's just me. I don't eat sugar. That's just me. You can eat sugar. I never ate sugar like a gentleman. I've never eaten in small quantities. One-on-one -on -one with a Twinkie, I'm going to lose. And let me get this straight. If I win, I get a Twinkie. And if I lose, I go down, the, you know, nose down into God knows what. It, 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 it's not even close uh, when I got married, we went through the, the, the uh, I don't drink, so the rabbi says, we'll do the wine thing. I said, not me. He said, we'll do grape juice. I said, fine. My wife said, I'm assuming we're not having a cake. I said, have a cake. Knock yourself out. Have a cake, whatever you want. I'm not eating any, but have a cake. And she wouldn't expect that I would. Uh, she sees what, she doesn't understand this program at all. In fact, she jokes about it. She's, um, her father was a judge. He passed away uh, less than two years ago, and he was a judge. And she was raised in this kind of intellectual sort of environment. And... Every time I introduce her to somebody walking down the street whose last name I don't tell her, she says, I know, it's Wilson. It's Wilson. Everybody's Wilson. It's Sue Wilson. It's Roseanne Wilson. Yeah, it's Wilson. That's right. Um, she's been to two meetings. She gave me my 19th candle and my 20th candle with my sponsor. And um, so I had a sponsor all along. I had a food plan all along. I have added a couple of foods to the food plan over the years, and I've taken a couple of foods out. But every now and again, I know it, Rose, uh, Natalie says it great. For... I. It is about the food, and it's not about the food, and it is about the food, and it's not about the food, which makes perfect sense to me, which is a bit scary. Um, when my food is in order, it's not about the food at all. When my food's not in order, it's only about the food. And if I don't, if I didn't already know that instinctively, I read the second to the last paragraph of the first step in the AA 12 and 12, which says, working the remaining 11 steps means the adoptions of actions and attitudes that almost no alcoholic who is still drinking would even think of taking, which means you want to work a program, stop drinking. So I have to find something comparable, and I know that our disease is not the same thing as their disease, and I know we can't put the plug in the jug and we have to eat. That being said, come hell or high water, I'm no more likely, in fact, what did Bill say in his book? He's no more likely to eat sugar than he was to eat rat poisoning. If I'm sober in this program, this, is, this works for me. You can eat, I don't, personally, I don't care how you eat. It doesn't, it doesn't affect my life at all. I hope you get what I've gotten and how you eat to get there. It doesn't even matter. My sponsor doesn't eat the same way I do, and his sponsor doesn't eat the same way she, uh, he does. And my sponsees probably don't eat the same way I do. And you know what? We're all abstinent. We're all near goal weight, and we're all happy, joyous, and free. So, you know, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the cookie cutter? I don't know. I've had a sponsor. I've always gone to meetings. Now, in my case, I've wanted to go to meetings. I like the meetings. I like the meetings for a couple of reasons. I, I joke, but this seemed true at the time. I had nowhere else to go. It was not like there were a lot of people that were inviting me to parties when I'm binging, drinking, and using, and, and, and fat and miserable. And this is what we did back then, and I wish, Roseanne, that we could, I wish it were the same way now. Monday, Monday night, we, Tuesday night we went to uh, Beverly Hills High School. And then Wednesday night we went to Palms Park. And Thursday night we went to the 100 Pounders meeting, which at that time was at the Federal Building. And Friday night we went to Cedar sinai for the, uh, uh, the, um, 
Thalians meeting. And Saturday morning, we went to the Ohio Street Clubhouse for the uh, um, a maintainers meeting. And Sunday morning, we went to Serenity Sunday, which for times many years ago was still where it is now. I was secretary 15 years ago, and we had to move to all over the place. And But that's what it was. And then Monday, we went to Beverly Hills High School. And Tuesday, we went to Beverly Hills High School. And we worked as a group. There were five... There were five of us some days. There were 30 of us, that, like little lemmings. We just went around to meeting, to meeting, to meeting, and most of those people are still abstinent and still happy, joyous, and free. I don't hear as much of that today. But you know what? Uh, it is what it is. So there were a lot of meetings. I've always had a sponsor. Um, I've sponsored most of the time, but I, I spo I've been sponsoring three guys for like 10 years apiece right now. Um, that's about all. I mean, I'm thank well. The other thing is, if you're new, I pitched from the podium. I was told, pitch from the podium anything that's bothering you. And all I fetched about for the first eight months of recovery from January until August was my disdain for my body and my disdain for my career. And let me tell you how people work. The speaker this morning was Carl, and Carl said he has a hard time hearing God directly. God works through people for him. And so this is what happened. Two women came up to me in the summer of 1982. One of them said, I, I hear how pained you are about your career. Would you like to volunteer to work in an eating disorder hospital program? And Angie got me hooked up with uh, San Pedro Peninsula Hospital. And next thing I knew, I'm volunteering. Then I'm working there. They tell me to go back to graduate school. And in 1984, I went back to grad school. When they told me to go to grad school, I told them to shove it up their ass. And they said, rather hostile response, no. And I said, you didn't know me the first time around. I drank, I used, and I gained 100 pounds. And they said, you weren't in recovery then. So I went back to graduate school. And this time, I passed everything. And I graduated two years later, and I was probably one of the first people in my class to get the you know, required 3,000 hours, and I went back to become a marriage and family therapist. I got licensed the first sitting in 1988, and I've been licensed for 13 or 14 years since then. And that is purely a miracle, believe me. I may have been smart enough, but I was no smarter the second time around than I was in law school. I, I, my, my intelligence, my IQ didn't go up from the 70s to the 80s. Um, believe me, as, as it was as good as it, I, I peaked out when I was about 11, and um, to maintain was the best I could hope for. Um, so I pitched and I bitched and I fetched. And I, there was a, um, a Mexican American fellow in the South Bay many, many years ago named Juan. I hope he's still around program. And he, did, he never shared at meetings. And one day I said, Juan, why don't you share at meetings? He said, In my family, we were told never to bitch. I said, What? He said, Yeah, you're about raising your hand, go to the podium and bitch. He thought we were telling him to go up there and bitch. I said, No one is pitch. And all of a sudden, God's understood. The other thing that I pitched about was about um, uh, my embarrassment about my body. And some woman came up to me. Her name was Carolyn C. I've never seen her after that summer. Um, I like to think this experience I'm about to tell you is not what drove her from program if she's not in program. But she came up to me and she said, I will go to the beach with you. I will go to the beach with you and I will protect you. And if you want to take off your shirt, you can take off your shirt. And I didn't know if I was being seduced or I was being, I was being helped. I didn't, know somewhere, I didn't know if it was a 12-step call or a 13-step call. And to be honest with you, I didn't care. I figured, I don't really care. Whichever it is, I'm coming out okay. And we went to Redondo Beach near where she lived, and we went to this deserted, isolated, little, no-place, little cove, and she said, I'm here if you wanted to, and, and I, this is how I recall it. If you want, take off your shirt. If you don't want, don't take off your shirt. And I sat there for what seemed like about a week. It was probably about a half an hour. I took a deep breath. I closed my eyes. I took off my T-shirt. For the first time, my, my body breathed fresh air outside the way normal people can. I put that shirt under my arm, held it real close, just in case. And if there were, I'll tell you something. It's almost like Don Quixote. If there would have been any, any dragons, Carolyn would have slew them or slayed them. Believe me, I trusted that. And nobody came and nobody laughed. And it was over. 
The 20 years of, of, of that kind of anguish was over. And now I'm still floored when I walk around the house sometimes with a pair of uh, gym trunks or shorts or, or PJ bottoms and no shirt. And it's still weird for me to do it. And for my wife, it's just a matter of course that I would do it. And it's still, she doesn't get it, that it's bizarre. I still have the stretch marks. Uh, they haven't gone away. I still have some loose skin. They haven't gone away. I don't weigh what I weighed in that first year, thank God, but I don't even weigh what I weighed 10 years ago. Uh, in the last 10 years, I've probably gained, I don't know, 10 pounds, I guess. You know, I, I'm probably healthier where I am now. Uh, when I saw the doctor last, he said, for going on 50, you're fine. Everything's fine. I have no physical I have two pieces of wreckage of my past. I have my, um, a little bit of a squirrely back from, literally, literally, the back that was pulled forward from the weight of my stomach bent my spine. And so I have a, a weak lower back and the stretch marks, which the OA office in the valley used to have a sign that said, turn your scars into stars. And so, you know what? Uh, I choose to believe that. Um, but my, let me tell you, Quick part of the story. Um, I bought the literature. I read the literature. I did a four-step. I did all the things. I worked the steps, blah, blah, blah. But here's what happened. I came in 1982 to the program. In 1984, my car was stolen. Now, my car was stolen, and it turned up in Zanesville, Ohio. When it came back, a lot of things were missing, including my big book. Now, you would think, for those of you who are in the other fellowship, that they don't need more copies of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in Ohio. But mine didn't come back. So I had to buy a, a, a new edition. See, it was a new edition in 1984. In case any of you don't have it, mine was a new edition. Mine said things that the first one didn't say. I don't know how they did it. The first one said, weigh yourself a lot and talk about the food. Get a food plan. Lose a lot of weight. The God is out of the question. Go to therapy. That will take care of the mental and psychological. And the spiritual, don't worry about it. I mean, you're Jewish and you don't have a great relationship with God, but don't worry about it. So, um, I bought a new copy of the big book and started reading things that it didn't say the edition before. Two years later... My, my, my Honda is stolen a second time. Um, both times it came back, this time in downtown L.A., with a lot of food wrappers, a lot of beer cans, a lot of schmutz and chazerai. That's, uh, for the non-Jews in the crowd, it's like, you know, stuff and gunk and shit. Um, and, and my big book was gone again. <laughs> so I had my other guy named Kavi the Big Book. He is probably the same guy. So somewhere in East Los Angeles... God willing, there's somebody with my copy of the big book underlined and highlighted with all my darkest, deepest secrets. But I had to buy another one. And this one started to say things that the first one didn't say and the second one didn't say. Uh, the spiritual part of the program is the hardest part for me. That's why Deborah worked so enthusiastically for those six or seven years and Terrell's kind of pulling his hair out. Um, I don't fight it, though. I don't have contempt prior to investigation because they used to read on Friday night um, um, spiritual experience. And they, that what Alan used to read a couple... Uh, yeah, uh, Alan G. had a stroke, and um, he is, he's, I don't think the last time I saw him, he's unable to speak and he's unable to walk, and it just, uh, it tore my heart out to, to, he used to get up there almost every, it was like every week, they'd ask him to read the spiritual experience, and he'd get up there and he'd read it, and about Victor, Herbert Spencer, uh, and he'd, uh, he'd read about um, the only thing that, a bar against all information is, uh, is a contempt prior to investigation. I had a lot of contempt prior to investigation when I came in. I don't have any contempt anymore. I just don't get it. I, wa I, don't, want, I don't want the higher power like I have, like Carl has, which is I've got to work through Sue. I've got to see the God in her eyes. I want to be able to like, you know, tune it in like the stereo in my house or the radio I've got. And, and Terrell keeps telling me if I keep getting quiet, which is easier said than done, if I get still, which I'm more, ever, more than ever willing to do, that, um, that it too shall happen for me. I've seen in my lineage... 
um, in my 12-step lineage, just in the last couple of years, I've seen cancer, I've seen HIV positive, I've seen, uh, in not direct lineage, but, but friends of mine, I've seen the death of parents, I've seen the death of spouses, and come hell or high water, no matter what, when you're sober, you're sober. When you're abstinent, you're abstinent, one day at a time. I don't eat no matter what. I, I, tra- I went to Europe a couple times in recovery, and one way when you go to Europe, it's a three-hour day, somehow. And in those three hours, you bet your ass, I ate three meals. And on the way back, it's like a 49-hour day. And I ate three meals. And some of the meals haven't been pretty. Uh, the older I get, I think my food's kind of mellowing out a little bit. I, like I said, I've, had, I've added foods in that I didn't used to have. And I've taken foods out as they pose a problem. Uh, I get a daily reprieve, it says. And I've always, I've always quoted that quote, but I, I, I didn't choose to finish the whole exact quote. I chose to see it as a daily reprieve predicated upon fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. And I get a daily reprieve. Uh, I'm going out to dinner tonight. We're going out with, a, with a, my, my wife and I are meeting for dinner and we're going with this gay couple that we're friends with. And if the four of us talk to the waiter or waitress, you will not be able to tell, you will not be able to rank which of the four of us has the eating issue. From how we order, you could guess any of the four of us. My wife's allergic to garlic. She has more restriction than I have. Somebody watching us order, if they pass the bread, I don't eat bread. I don't eat bread. I I ate enough bread. Somebody said to me once, don't you miss sugar for 20 years? And I said, I keep a straight face. They said, look, everybody's allowed so much sugar in their lifetime. I had mine. I didn't get cheated. I didn't miss a damn thing. I, I had mine. I just don't get any more. That's all. It works for me. Um, I get quiet a little more than I used to. Um, I meditate to the best of my ability a little more than I used to. This is where my life is today. My practice is full most of the time. This is a friggin' miracle. Uh, I got married at 49. Um, um, and, and this is how God works. Somebody asked me how I met her. I had broken up with somebody uh, 15 or 20 minutes before. <laughs> vowing, I'm never going on another date ever. And to be honest with you, I meant it. I got together with a buddy of mine that I knew from college. We grabbed a little bag of kookaroo chicken. We go to Dodger Stadium. I'm sitting up in the rafters by myself with him. The obligatory two seats between us so nobody should talk. And, um, and all of a sudden, there's this, this woman sitting next to me. or there's this, Actually, there's a little girl sitting next to me. Next thing I know, the little girl and the woman have switched seats. And the woman is starting to stick her nose in my conversation with my buddy Brian. Next thing I know, I got her number to give to a friend. A woman friend. She was going to be doing something that I thought I could hook her up. I'm a real, um, I do professional shit-offs for a living. I like making matchmaking things. So she was going to be running the marathon. I knew two women who had run a marathon, both of them in this fellowship. I said, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I apply these principles in all my affairs. I said, I don't feel comfortable giving out their name and number, but if you give me yours. And I was serious. And the next day came and went, and I didn't call her. And I said, great, one more Jewish guy making a promise to call some woman that he is. And I, and I said, no, that's not working these principles in all my affairs. I got to call her. I said, I'd call her. And I have to call her. And I didn't want to call her. And I called her and I woke her up. And I didn't know what to do when I woke her up. So I asked her out to dinner. And I asked her out to dinner and we talked. And I told her the truth. Um, uh, honesty is really important. There's a, there's a quote in the big book. I don't have a... Uh, but it's page 482 in the, in the real... Yeah, in the real big, in the real big book. Not, not the fourth edition, but the third edition, page 482, in Bell of the Ball, has a, a thing about honesty. And it says, I'll never be totally honest. That would make me perfect. Only God is. But if I continue to work on it every day, I can get more honest and honest with myself. And then getting honest, more honest with other people will come naturally. I told her the truth. And, and again, this is not, uh, this is not social uh, protocol etiquette. But when she said to me, so tell me, your, tell me your, st- your status, your availability, and your story. I said, here's the truth. I'd love to lie to you. I'd love, believe me, because what I'm about to tell you doesn't look so good. I'm a, I'd love to lie to you. I'm out of a relationship four days. Her, her, her furniture's still in my home, 
and her name is still on my answer machine page. This is what I got. I'd love to tell, but as you'll find out about me if you hang around, uh, I'm not going to lie. And we're married now. And um, it's bizarre to me. It's, it's bizarre. I don't want to use the word soulmate, but it feels right. Uh, I had a chance to do all the things I didn't do the first time around. I got to a- basically ask her father as he was dying if, if you know, he blessed the relationship. I couldn't get the word marriage or engage or any of that shit out of my mouth. But he knew. We talked. We hugged. He, he thanked me. He thanked me for that gift. And he said, when I die, because he knew he was dying, when I die, I can die in peace now. And uh, I didn't know what to do, and God took care of me. I turned to him, I said, now what, Fred? And he looked at me and said, now I'm going to take a nap, you can leave. So God took care of me, he left. Uh, two, two months later, he passed away, we got married uh, uh, last year. Um, her mother died in January, uh, unexpectedly. Um, and I, the biggest miracle for me is, the miracle is not that I'm, that I'm I mean, I, these are, I don't know, the same pants from four years ago. That's not the biggest miracle. It's not that I, oh, I don't own a scale today. I was weighing myself 10 to 15 times a day, and somebody in program, God bless Henry, said, throw out your scale. And unbeknownst to him, I had two scales. And I took the two scales, and I had an idea. I put them in a trash bag, and I put them in the, in the dumpster in Santa Monica near where I used to live at Wilshire and Lincoln. And I, did, I went on my morning walk, and I did, every, I did the same thing I would have done for food in the past. I went right into the trash dumpster after my walk, because I, I, I'm, I'm eating out of the trash dumpster. I don't care. And I went to get my scales. And the goddamn sanitation department had come, and my scales were gone. And I haven't had a scale again. My wife has a scale in the house, and I've not been on it. I, I, it look, I'm, I'm going to turn my life and my will over to the... Look, Judaism says no false idols. And, and, and I, I, I'm not going to turn my wife and my will over to the care of, what, a piece of metal and springs to say either I'm okay, or I'm really okay if the number's low, or, or if I hold a towel rack, I'm, I'm more okay, and my pee first or after... This is lunacy, and what the program offers me is freedom from this kind of lunacy, not just that it go away. The other miracle is I've gotten, fe- people are actually, re- have written back to me on email stuff like, your wife is lucky to have you there at this time. Believe me, nobody was saying that about me for the first 30 years of my life. It's like, I, was this, I, w- I felt like the family albatross, and, 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 and I didn't have a lot of data to kind of avert that. So if you're new, um, what can I say? I feel free today. Um, I love my career today. Um, I have a home today. I was living in this piece of shit. It's not about stuff, but you know what? I like having stuff. I like having stuff. I'm not going to apologize. I worked in an eating disorder unit, and I used to get a lot of shit from some of the staff members because I was closer to go weight than they were, and they used to make fun of the way I ate. And finally I said to them, in a staffing, look, I paid a price all my life for being fat, and I'm going to be goddamned if I'm going to pay a price amongst a group of compulsive overeaters for not being fat. If you've got nothing nice to say, I'm out of here. And they backed off. And it felt really nice to be able to say, I'm not going to apologize for being thin or being normal. I'm not even thin anymore, but normal. I'm not going to apologize for loving my career. I'm not going to apologize for having stuff. I have a lot of stuff, but I, I, I never had anything. And today I've got a life because you guys told me how to, you guys, Carolyn told me to take off my shirt and told me I'd be okay. And Ann told me to come volunteer and said I'd be okay. And Susan and Alan um, told me to go and, and go back to graduate school despite my head. Um, Carol told me I can, I can propose to this woman. Um, um, easy for him to say. Um, I don't judge. Um, but you guys held my hand every step along the way and told me how I could lead a life beyond my wildest dreams. What a name for a book. Um, so if you're new, uh, keep coming back. One of the only things I did consistently and, and relatively right was I never left. Now, again, I didn't leave because I didn't want to leave. The other thing, I, and again, I'm not going to apologize for this. I think I played kosher in this program with the women. I think I played kosher. But I did come to meetings quite often for the hugs. Today I get the hugs from the men and the women and the gay man and the straight man. I don't, I don't, to be honest with you, 
I don't really care. But in the beginning, I probably wasn't hugging any of the straight men because none of them were hugging. I probably felt a little queasy amongst the gay men because that didn't... I, I wasn't sure when I came into the program what the hell I was. And the women... Where else was I going to get hugged? I mean, I mean, so this was the physical contact. I remember always wanting to have my first massage. Oh, one last story real quick. This is how it worked for me. I actually answered an ad. This is embarrassing. In my second year, in the, uh, one of the throwaway newspapers on the west side of town, one of these lower-end newspapers, and it was for a massage. And I prayed to God it was legitimate. And, it, and I get there in some little place in Venice. I take off my shirt, and I apologize to the woman for my body. And she looks at me, and I tell her I'm, 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 I'm you know, I'm in a program, and I'm, 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 you know, the stretch marks are from before, and I'm in Overeaters Anonymous. And she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, "So am I." And it's, it's, believe it or not, I don't think she does it for a living anymore. But she still comes to Serenity Sunday, and I still see her. I remind her of that story. And not only did I have my first massage, I actually got touched. I had a massage from somebody who didn't laugh. They didn't laugh. So if you're new, keep coming back. Um, the one thing I won't say today that Gary did say at that first meeting, I'll never forget he said this, because he, he's a little more, um, he's even more animated, a little more extroverted, and a little more Jewish than I am. He said, if you don't like what you heard at the meeting today, come back next week. There'll be some other lunatic up here speaking. <laughs> I don't say that anymore today. I really don't say that anymore. It feels good to have respect in my field, which is in a female-dominated field. It's in a field where you make one mistake and you're done. You're done. And for 20 years, that career has been on the straight and narrow. I'm at meetings. I'm at professional meetings. I was at a, a lecture on Saturday of last weekend. There were 80 women therapists and three guys. Three guys. And one of the other two guys uh, was a gay guy not in the fellowship. And the other one was a gentleman in the fellowship, Mario. And it feels good to be able to hold my head up high and say there's no room that I know of that I can go into in this city where I'm going to have anything I have to be ashamed about, anything I have to apologize for. And you know what? The 10th step is about as it comes up, as it comes up. I was sitting on the ledge at uh, San Vicente Foods a few months ago. And this woman walks by, and I look at her, and she looks at me. And she goes into the store, and she comes out. She says, I think I know you. And I look at her, and we try to piece it together. We dated about 20 years ago for about 15 minutes. And I, I, I knew this was safe to say. I said, I don't know how we ended, but I'm willing to bet you it was on my terms it was not very respectful and was probably rather abrupt. And for that, no good excuse, but a very enthusiastic apology. She says, I don't really remember that. It's possible. But I felt really, really good. Because I know damn well, if I was dating her in the 70s or early 80s, as soon as she liked me or I liked her, I lost her number and never called her back and found some cockamamie excuse. I don't want to live that way anymore. And, and I can't believe all the stuff's coming out of my mouth. But it's the truth. If you're new, keep coming back. Abstain, ideally, don't abstain. Keep coming back. Do three meals, do two meals, do four meals. It's nobody's business. It doesn't matter. Get a sponsor. Don't do it alone. I found the times I tried to do it alone, it didn't work as well. Work the steps. We're sick as our secrets. That fifth step is very... I mean, when I wrote my fifth step, was, I read it to Neil. And Neil, was, a bad, Neil was, was hardcore AA in those days. And we did it at Dolores's. I started reading it in Dolores's. And he said that it was so boring that not only did he fall asleep listening to it, he said, I actually fell asleep twice while I was reading it to him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do it imperfectly, but just keep coming back. And um, if there's any questions, I'm open. Um, thanks for the... Uh, Roy, thank you very much for asking me to share. Uh, the words go away. What have they grown to mean for you considering <laughs> one <laughs> Go away. Go away for me when I came in was about five pounds. Gary says go away for him was his birth weight. 
uh, that when I'm told you're 8.6, you know, whatever. Um, I always had this vision of a number in my mind, and when, I tell you something. When I this is this is sick thinking, but when I when I hit 158, the ideal of looking in the mirror, sucking in my guts, I mean sucking it in, letting it a little teeny bit, sucking it in a little more, letting it out a little bit, and then sucking it in that third time. And I looked in the mirror. And I swore to God, there was no way that I had any internal organs from the front to the back. Then I thought I was okay. And, I mean, this is sick shit. My ass hurt. My elbows hurt. Every, every joint and every bone that's supposed to have body fat didn't have any. Um, the charts say I should be probably about between one... I should be in the 180s. And I'm probably in the middle of 180s now. Um, my fantasy is I should be about 15 or 20 pounds less. I'm not willing to do what it takes. I'm not willing to go that my pants still fit. If I if I gained a if I've gained more than three pounds in any one year in the last five years, I don't know about it. And uh, since I don't want to scale, I don't know. But but so I stopped talking about go away. I talked about it a lot in the beginning because that was the only thing that I didn't know what the spiritual. I didn't know that there was anything more to recovery, and I didn't believe I was going to be able to keep this. The other thing was I didn't believe I was going to be able to keep the weight loss. So I don't know what my go away is anymore. The charts say I should be in the 180s at my age and my height, and I am. And um, every now and again I get spooked because some of the charts when they want to sell you something say 190 borders on your you know you, you need to be uh, hospitalized inpatient for an eating disorder unit, and um, it spooks me. But uh, until my doctor or my sponsor or somebody else uh, tells me I should worry, I'm just letting it go and turning it over. So, yeah. No, but I'll tell you something. Good question about bulimia. Um, uh, I, bulimic thinking is not just a... Is, I was eating, when I came into the program, half gallons of Weight Watchers Diet ice cream, Friday night one and one Saturday morning, with raisins and Tilly Lewis diet chocolate syrup. Let me tell you something. You eat a half a gallon of diet ice cream on uh, Friday night and one more on Saturday morning, you ain't going real far out of the house that day. And again, if it went in, my logic was if it went in and it came, it went in liquid and kind of ish and came out kind of liquid-ish, it didn't count, it didn't stay. I mean, well, how much damage could it do? And I think that qualifies me, but the idea of purging was out of the question. But I, I, for the first two years, for the first year in program and certainly for the five before that, the thinnery, I was getting invited to every grand opening of the thinnery. Every time one of the new thinneries opened, I was getting calls. The Weight Watchers ladies used to call me. The Slender Spoon in the, in the Sneaky Sweets and Cinema Sweets and Sandra, what's her name? And, and, um, in, and I, mean, I was getting calls for the openings. I was like a, a representative of the organization. But, but I never threw up because that's really spooky. But, I, but it's bulimic thinking to do what I was thinking, what I was doing. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of semantics. I, I took diuretics. And I did take laxatives. Actually, yeah. I mean, we didn't think of, we didn't think of chocolate di uh, laxatives as a problem. Uh, but I was taking those because it tasted good. And again, anything that didn't stay in me. And I'm, I'm realizing that a lot more than the food didn't stay in me. Nothing of substance stayed in me. And so, yeah, I guess that yeah, probably wouldn't hurt me to call myself that too. Time? Oh, it's time? Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, thank you very much for letting me share.